morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Missed you last week. Liana and I um, had uh, a very restful and refreshing time away, and we were able to worship with another church local to where we were staying, which was um, a blessing and a privilege. But we, we did miss you very much, and we are more than delighted to be back with you singing this morning, praying, praising, preaching. Uh, last week, Sunday morning, I, um, I felt, um, Leona asked how I was feeling because normally I would be preaching on a Sunday morning. And um, I, I told her, in all honesty, I felt down, uh, just sort of that sort of heaviness, just down, very strange feeling. No reason. We've had a great week, but I, I felt like maybe I'm being a downer on, on the day at the very end of our, our trip. And um, I just couldn't explain why I felt down. And then I started thinking about it. And, you know, if you're used to week in and week out preaching um, the gospel and leading a church, there's, there's the way God's wired you, there's going to be two things at least working. You'll have cortisol. Um, producing your, your stress hormone, and then you'll have um, adrenaline, which is keeping you going, so you don't really feel that. You don't notice that quite as much, and it's all God's balanced everything out. But on that particular day, I had no adrenaline because I had no sermon to preach and no church to preach to and no people to counsel or disciple. And um, uh, nonetheless, the um, uh, the the cortisol stuff was still being produced. I was just feeling like I should be doing something, but I'm not. Bit of an odd feeling. Needless to say, I'm not feeling that today. It is a delight to to be with you. Um, locate in your Bibles this morning, Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, and in just a moment, I'm going to read from verse one. The Apostle Paul writing to the church. At Colossae says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. 
In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. May the Lord bless the, the reading of His Word. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would, in Your mercy and grace, strengthen me as I proclaim Christ. I pray that You would, by the Holy Spirit, work in these who are gathered. And I ask, Lord God, that as we approach uh, these memberships and uh, baptism, Lord God, that in Your mercy and grace You would be our shield um, as we, we are gathered. You would be our refuge, that we would not be assaulted in any way of spiritual warfare or um, other distraction this morning, but that we would be focused on Jesus Christ and that we would delight in Christ. And we pray that, that the truth of this message would resonate with everyone throughout the week ahead, giving us confidence and assurance, a Holy Spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Please help us in this. We ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. The church at Colossae will have faced many of the challenges that churches in the first century endured. We see them in other parts of the New Testament. The book of Acts, which is the earliest church history. And we see them in Paul's other letters. Not least, letters like Galatians and Ephesians, which draw on similar themes that we see developed in Colossians. One of the preeminent challenges of the early church was how can people from vastly different cultural and religious and ethnic backgrounds be at one in Christ. Specifically, the merger, the intersection of all of those things and other things in the constructs of Gentile and Jew. How can Jews and Gentiles worship together? How can they form a healthy church together? How can you avoid having a church that is Gentile and a church that is Jew and instead have a church that is Christian? A church that is submitted to Jesus Christ and is defined by Christ as their foremost identity. How? And that was a major challenge that they had to work through. And there were, there were questions they had to ask. There were things they had to, to wrestle with. 
and things that we might not particularly be uh, plagued by at, at this moment in this context. But trust me, there are brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that still have those same issues. There may even be in certain cultural contexts in our city situations not unlike those that the early church faced. Things of what to eat because there were rigorous food laws in Judaism, but Gentiles didn't have those. They would eat anything. How do you get past that? How can the after-service barbecue not disintegrate into division over what to eat and what not to eat, and it not be a matter of preference, but one of principle? Well, that was something that they had to wrestle with. But there were also more ideological things, philosophical things, because you have, you have uh, various systems that the Gentiles had, Greeks, were, were, were big into philosophy. Yes, they had their pagan idols, but there was a whole segment that really didn't get into all of that quite as much as they did um, uh, philosophical systems that, that emphasized deeper knowledge, hidden things, secret things. And it wasn't just the Gentiles that were into that either. There were and there are uh, strains of Jewish belief that emphasize the esoteric, the hidden, the, frankly, invisible. And there was a system of thought that was already developed and still developing at this time called Gnosticism which emphasized the immaterial over the material. In fact, the material was bad. The immaterial was good to be prized. The invisible, that was what was to be sought. The visible was rubbish. It was to be denigrated, despised. People took that in uh, many different directions as far as their application was concerned. But at the end of the day, there was this, this real sense that the body didn't matter, only the, the soul. And we even have that today. I've talked about it a few times. I've mentioned it here and there. Anyone with ears to hear will remember me saying things about your body not being a prison. I hear Christians talk about that. It, your body is not a prison. The scriptures say your body is a temple. And, 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 and death is not how God made humanity to, 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 to be. Decay is not supposed to be characteristic of you in your created state. And yet because of the fall it is. Resurrection is a resurrection not just spiritually but it is bodily. So much of what we believe in Jesus Christ is counter to the, the various philosophical systems, both of Gnostic Gentile philosophy and Gnostic Jewish philosophy. Some of you might be familiar with Kabbalah or Kabbalistic thinking. We'll hear a testimony later uh, from our, our brother who was, was into various things that they emphasize the invisible attaining to, to, to various out-of-body experiences as though that is to be prized. But Paul talking to the Colossians in this letter emphasizes that, that 
we, read, we, we, we heard it earlier, that God is, is reconciling all things to Himself. Not just things in heaven, but things on earth, which is to say earthly things. God is concerned with the earthly, not just the heavenly. And He's made peace, not in some sort of esoteric, spiritual, invisible way, but He's made peace in the grittiest, most bodily way possible, the blood of the cross. And the Apostle says that all things were created. And he says in heaven, yes, Gnostics could sign on to that but also all things on earth. Things visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Yes, the invisible ones and the visible ones. God created everything. When Satan went rogue, before he was called Satan, adversary, it's not like he started creating things over on the side. All things were created by God. And everything that's wrong with our universe is wrong because of rebellion against God. God created all things. All things were created through Him and for Him. Yes, the physical was created for God. The material, the visible, was created for God. God is before all things, verse 17 of chapter 1 says, and in Him all things hold together. And he, He's already listed all things. He really means all things. And He is the head of the Spirit. No, Paul is very, very clever. He's not... He, he, he's, communicating this critique of their philosophical broken systems um, uh, very subtly at first. Maybe to our minds, but anyone with ears to hear and eyes to see knows what he's getting at. He's the head of the body, using physical language to communicate the supremacy of Christ. He, he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn, so birth is a bad thing. The firstborn from the dead. So death is not final. Death is not ultimate. That in everything, even the thing that we consider the worst about human existence, even the, the dirtiest thing of human existence, so that in everything he might be, be preeminent. In Him, all the fullness of God. Not just some spiritual component of God, but every aspect that you can say that is God, all that is in God, was pleased to dwell in Him. Some translations emphasize all the fullness of God dwelt in Him bodily. For in Him, through Him, all of this, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace, there it is again, by the blood of the cross. He keeps emphasizing that throughout the, the rest of that first chapter, talking about how we were uh, alienated, we were hostile in mind, we were doing evil deeds. The problem isn't what God created, the problem is how we rebelled. 
But God in Jesus, through the bodily Christ and the blood of the cross, is reconciling all things, all things to Himself. How? In His body of flesh, by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Not just your spirit or your soul, your everything. So throughout Colossians, Paul emphasizes the flesh. Paul emphasizes what is seen because Jesus reigns over what is seen as well. It is not the soul of Benny and Daniel that will testify of their of their um, conversion to faith in Jesus Christ and their baptism and their discipleship that has led them to this place this morning. It, it, it is their whole entity, body, soul, spirit, mind, whatever you want to call it. And with their mouths they will declare the excellencies of Christ. Daniel. No, Daniel David. What am I on about? We're going to have to find a way of calling out the two Davids also. We'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll have to cross that bridge today. But um, David, it's not just your spirit that will be baptized. And it's not just something inside that's been changed. There are certain things, and we've talked about that, things that, that, that you know, you, you will be, you are changed by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything is going into this water. You will testify of your, your, your false beliefs, so your mind is going into the water. Your, your thinking is going into the water. You'll, you'll testify to, to the, the various um, uh, yoga practices that you were into and those esoteric spiritual out-of-body experiences that you were seeking. And, and when you were into that, the, um, uh, we, we may even see what you have um, engraved in your arm. That's washed in the water. God does not see that. He sees the blood of the cross. All things reconciled to Himself in Jesus Christ. And baptism is a portrayal of that. There's a lot that I could say about baptism. After all, I am a Baptist. I could preach many sermons on baptism. And each one would have a little something new. But one thing that we see today from the text before us in chapter 2 is baptism depicts unity with Christ. Christ, by the blood of the cross, is reconciling all things to God and in Himself. And how can we be reconciled to God apart from Christ? We can't. So we must be united to Christ. So united to Christ that when God sees you, He does not see your sin, but He sees your Savior, Jesus. That's what this is about. Baptism is a material demonstration. 
an outward depiction of, yes, inward spiritual realities, but I must say inward spiritual realities that have outward bodily, personal implications. We, we can't have a Gnostic view of Christian baptism because it is the body that goes down. Everything. Union with Christ. What does that mean? Well, we, we might talk about sharing with Christ. But share, sh sharing in the closest sense possible. Union with Christ means, first of all, you share the mind of Christ. You share the mind of Christ. So when you're baptized, you're saying that Jesus has washed my mind. Jesus has washed the way I think. Jesus has washed what I believe. Jesus has dealt with the various philosophies and ideologies and, 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 and thought processes and feelings and all of that that's wired into my inner man. When we see that, when he says... Being knit together, your hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance. Assurance being an inward thing, even a mental thing of understanding. Full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of what? God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, on the foundation of what I was saying about the false beliefs that were entering that church, do you see what Paul is doing here? Stuff about hidden knowledge, special revelation, wisdom and insight, inner testimony that is just very, very highly subjective and totally invisible. Union with Christ. Reconciliation to God in Christ. Which, as we see later in chapter 2, we read it a moment ago, is demonstrated in baptism. Well, you need no greater revelation, no more special revelation than Jesus. There's no greater understanding or knowledge of God's mystery than Jesus. You, you reach the riches of... These people are coming into the church saying, oh, you need to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge. We have attained to this. And the apostle says, uh, if you are in Christ, you have the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. God's mystery is Christ. That's what you need. Uh, they're, they're like, oh, you, you, you've not gone deep enough into the, the spiritual realm, in, into the, the, these invisible realities. You just need to go a bit deeper. You know, there's, there's some spiritual interests there, and you need to tap into these different channels of energy and all of that, and, and, and then you will know. Then you will attain what you need. And now he says... In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you get Christ, you have revelation. 
If you get Christ, you have understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is the mystery that really matters and the one that you need to, to, to know. And in Christ, you have treasure, seen and unseen treasure, wisdom and knowledge, greater than the world has to offer, certainly. The world's wisdom and knowledge ultimately paralyzes, impoverishes, embitters, corrupts. It sounds plausible. It attracts. It has perhaps granules of truth. And yet it falls short of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You share the mind of Christ. When you're baptized later, David, and those of you who have already been baptized, you have said and you will say, I share the mind of Christ. I'm baptized into His mind. Into the mystery, which is Jesus. Second thing, you share not only the mind of Christ, you share the walk of Christ. From verse 6, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. These people walking in other things, other ideas, other attitudes, other actions, other activities. But he, he, he is presenting to us a life that is defined by Jesus. Do we understand that? Do we understand the, the implications of that? That Christ, Christ is the one in whom we live and by whom we live, and through whom we live, and for whom we live. Christ, in reconciling to Himself all things, is bringing us back by the process of recreation to creation, where He created all things by whom all things were created by Him and for Him. Do we get that? And so when Jesus is reconciling you to Himself... He is saying, you are created by me. Everything about you. And you are created for me. Everything about you. Your intellect. Your physique. Your interests. Your gifts. Spiritual gifts. Your developed talents. Everything. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. And, and, and what does that walk look like? That might, I emphasize that walk is about, verse 7, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. It is a confident walk. Christ, when, when, when it came time for Him to die, and He knew the horrors of the cross... He knew the plan of God for him, right? He knew that Jesus, Jesus knew that he himself would die a brutal, bloody death on the cross. And it was by the blood of the cross that he would reconcile all things to him. How did he handle that? It says he set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face like flint. 
like stone. He couldn't be moved. It was time for him to die. And we see that as man, everything in him physically resisted that death. The night of his betrayal. His body was so revolted by the prospect of death. The death that he as God knew awaited him. That it triggered this violent reaction that produces quite horrific sweat. Like drops of blood pouring out of him. And he wept in anguish. Let this cup pass from me. But he rose. Friends, we live, you know it, you know it very well. You know it more today than you did this same day last year, I guarantee you. Tell me I'm wrong. You know you will die one day. You know that if, if, before you die, some loved ones will die. Some people near and dear to you will die. You have seen that already this year. I have seen that already this year. We know the reality of death. And I can't say that any of us quite have our faces set like flint toward our death. But we must have a disposition of Christ-likeness facing the most fearsome of things. To live is Christ. So as long as we live, it's Christ. To die is gain. And what is the gain? Paul says all the treasure is Christ. So to live is Christ. To die is Christ. If you are in Christ... I'm not encouraging stupidity or foolhardiness or foolishness. I'm, I'm, you know, there, there are some people who, who um, get up to all sorts of nonsense and careless idiocy. Not at all about that. Wasn't before all of this was happening, and I won't be after. But I will say this. I don't think that's our problem sometimes. I think our problem is an aversion to risk, an aversion to, to danger even. Not even to danger, to the prospect that there might be something that could potentially make us uncomfortable because it could lead somewhere we don't like. And that might hypothetically be death. We're, we're, we're far removed from Jesus. It's a scary thing, I know. And yet he says, walk in Him. He doesn't say walk in Him when the going is good. Walk in Him when it's bad. Walk in Him when it's difficult. Walk in Him when it's dangerous. Rooted and built up in Him. Established in what? In the faith. Just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. So He says elsewhere, rejoice always. And again, I say, 
rejoice. He says, I peeked to look at our brother's testimony. He warns us again against anxiety and says, but in everything, make your supplication known to God. Pray to God. Turn your fears and anxieties into prayers. You know it when you just sit in anxiety and, and fear. It doesn't go anywhere. You have to put it somewhere. And where best to put it than in the hands of God who can do something about it? Sharing the walk of Christ means that, that it doesn't matter what comes at you, whether that be physically, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, ideologically. No one can take you captive because you're walking tall and strong in Jesus. 8, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive. That means you have to be alert. You have to be aware of what's going on. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The only one who can take me captive is Jesus. The only one who can wake, awaken me is Jesus. The only one who can enlighten me and enliven me is Jesus. The only one who can empower me and establish me is Jesus Christ. And when I'm in Christ, I can walk. And if we, we read Scripture with Scripture, we can't just walk. But Hebrews says we can run. And, and we can't just run, but Isaiah the prophet says we can fly because we are established in Christ. When you profess that you've believed in Jesus and our brothers say they've been baptized later and this brother is baptized later, they are saying we share the walk of Christ. I will walk with my Savior. I will give myself to Christ. I will sacrifice for Christ. I will let a Christ-centered mind inform Christ's aimward steps so that as I think with Christ and as I walk in Christ, I'm walking toward Christ. And maybe that's to life. And maybe that's to life. Because even in Christ, death is life. I could talk more about that, but let's, 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 let's keep going. Um, he says, um, in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. So you have power for this walk. But where does it lead? Where does walking with Christ lead? First, it leads to a cross. It does lead to a cross. It leads to sacrifice. It leads... To suffering. It leads even at times and always ultimately 
to death. But that shouldn't be new to you, especially those of you who have been baptized, because at its first step, that is what baptism is about. It is about death. And it is about union with Christ in His death. Read it in verse 11. It's amazing. The one in whom the whole fullness of deity dwelt bodily. The one in whom we have been filled. The one by whom and for whom all things were created died in the flesh. Verse 11, in Him, that is in Christ still, in Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So, again, that, that sort of stream of thought that was common in some churches at that time, they had to wrestle with about circumcision and the Jewish covenant aspect of, of circumcision by which many people, sincere followers of Jesus, believed that Gentiles could become covenant members, but they had to do so by becoming Jews first, effectively. You know, on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't a problem. You did have people from all over the world, some of whom were originally Gentiles, but they were proselytes. That is, they had become Jews. So that wasn't a surprise. But you, and later you have the Ethiopian eunuch, and, you know, well... That wasn't much that could be done as far as circumcision was concerned with that fellow. Um, and then when you get, he was a God-fearer in any case. He, he was submitted to the Jewish teachings. He was reading the Jewish scriptures. But you get to out and out Gentiles, and they marvel that the Holy Spirit had come down on the Gentiles. And they had to wrestle with that through the history of their, their, their churches. Uh, but, but the apostle here is addressing a church that might feel embattled by some of that. And he says, effectively, don't worry about it. You, you have a circumcision made without hands. It's, it's one that really matters. It is putting off the body of the flesh, not just the skin. The body of the flesh, your, your sin, your rebellion against God, your wickedness, your evil, your dead, deadness. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, he says elsewhere. But you've put off the body of the flesh. How? By the circumcision of Christ. What is that? having been buried with Him in baptism. See, to join the Jewish covenant family, you had to, as a man, men only, would be circumcised, newborns. We're not newborns, we're reborns. That's how we enter into the covenant of Jesus Christ, the, the new covenant family. We are not born, we are born again with repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. So it is a conscience activity. So it is not something that infants undergo, contrary to popular practices for a long time, but it is something that we, as believers in Jesus, do, having trusted in Him. Are we on the same page? So 
when you are baptized, you are saying, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not saying, I am dead in my trespasses and sins. You've already said that when you stood over here and, and gave testimony to your lostness before Christ. When you go into the water later, David, and you go under the water, you are saying, forget dead in my trespasses and sins. I'm dead with Christ to sin. I have died to sin. I share the death of Christ. For the death He died. He died to sin. Romans chapter 6 says. So you're united with Him in that. One day you will die. And you're also saying, I believe that one day I will die. But that's not the end. I am no longer defined by my decay. I am no longer defined my, by my eventual death. I am defined by Christ's death, by union with Him. I've got to, to bring this to a close so our brothers can um, um, give their testimonies. You share the mind of Christ. You share the walk of Christ. You share the death of Christ. You share the triumphant life of Christ. having been buried with Him in baptism. That's not it. Buried with Him in baptism is bad news. Baptism, Greek word, baptizo, means to dip, to dunk, and in some contexts actually means to drown. If you're just buried with Him in baptism, then there's no coming up again. You're saying, I believe in the history of Jesus' death, which most people could sign on to. But we're Christians. We believe more than Jesus' death. We believe in Jesus' resurrection. Jesus lived and He died. He went down into the grave and on the third day He rose again. When you're baptized, you say, effectively, I believe the history of Jesus. The historical Christ that atheists have sought is the Christ presented in Scripture. The historical Christ that liberals have sought is the Christ of Scripture, the one who lived, who died, was buried, and who rose again. And so you're saying, I believe the history, but I also believe the unity that I have with Christ by His death, burial, and resurrection. Paul says, rest of verse 12, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us of all trespasses. You are forgiven of all of your sins. I don't know what, what detail Daniel and Benny will give us about their sins. I was talking with Benny about that the other day. Some people like to tell a lot. They like to talk about it. And maybe it helps someone. And that's why they share it. And some people don't go into a lot of detail. You know, Paul never tells us you know, anything in his testimony about you know, stoning or watching Stephen stoned to death. He, he does say he's the chief of sinners. 
He, he doesn't go into detail about all of the, the, the Christians he, um, the, the number of Christians he, he imprisoned. But we know that that was part of his story, but you know, what matters is I'm a, I'm a sinner. And what matters more than I'm a sinner, Jesus is my Savior. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And that's good news. Not that I'm a sinner, but that Jesus is my Savior. That He lived, that He died, that He was buried, that He rose again so that I might live, die to sin, be raised in the power of God to newness of life. And one day I will go down into the ground some way or the other and He'll raise me on the last day to be with Him forever, eternally in His kingdom. Made alive. You're made alive. Your trespasses are forgiven. All of them. The record of debt that you had that stood against you is canceled. The legal demands are also canceled. Because God doesn't do things by halves. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to, 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 make, to, to forgive you of all of your, your trespasses, but the curse of the law still stands. That means that the curse will live to curse you tomorrow. You can be forgiven today, but will we curse tomorrow? No. Jesus forgives you to walk in forgiveness forever. And so when it comes to, to canceling the record of debt, Jesus, Jesus doesn't handle debts and trespasses like we sometimes do, where we hold a grudge and we let it poison us in our lives. But, but He cancels our debts. And He cancels the very things that made us indebted. This He set aside. All of this He set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. Jesus got off the cross. Your sins are still hanging there. The penalty, still hanging there. The debt, still hanging there. The law that condemned you, still hanging there. Jesus got off the cross, was buried, and is raised. These things are still dead. And will be dead if you're trusting in Jesus. In all of this, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. Funny, isn't it? He, we read that He created the rulers and authorities, didn't we? All things, all thrones, all dominions, all powers. It says all things were created by Him and for Him. And God knew when He created these things what would happen in His sovereignty. He knew that these things would rebel, that these things would be characterized by Rampant depravity. But what, what has God done? All things that He's reconciling to Himself and those things that will not be reconciled to Himself in that they are opposed to God. What has He done? He's disarmed them. They have no power over you. The brother sat with me on Thursday and we talked about spiritual warfare before and after baptism. He's had bad dreams. He's had a lot of issues at work. His boss lost it with him again. Went crazy. No power over you. 
your, your sins, the things that, that, the things that you've done, that, what, 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 whatever it is that you don't share. That, that, that's too much to share, brothers. No power over you. The, the, the symbol engraved in your arm, no power over you. What it represents, no power over you. Why? Because there is a higher throne. And these thrones, these powers, these dominions were made by God and for God, even if their only purpose ever was to put weapons in their hands so that He could then disarm them and make a spectacle of them, showing us how mighty and strong He is. He is King. As much as some things change, one message never changes. Since September I preached a series on the Lord will be king. And just because we're done with Zechariah doesn't mean that message is over. The Lord will be king. Indeed, He already is king. And when you are baptized, and when you give your testimony and join the local church, you are declaring your allegiance with King Jesus. There's no throne higher. There's no power greater. There's nothing that can stop the power of Christ in your life. Let's pray and commit ourselves to Him. Heavenly Father, we ask in Your mercy and grace that we would know the power of union with Christ. That we would walk in the mind of Christ. That we would share the walk of Christ. That we would have the death of Christ that we might ultimately attain to the life of Christ, a triumphant and victorious life, one which can be inaugurated and tasted here, even now, in this flesh, but which we will know eternally forever in the heavenly kingdom. Be with us, we pray. Bless us as we listen to these testimonies of Your grace. May we exult in Jesus, and so exalt Him in His name. Amen.